the landscapes are pretty bare, to be honest. <laughs> There's no one in the city. So when you look at our um, area, those, you know, there's three large towers, which are uh, corporates, and they are currently 13% occupied. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Restaurant precincts, love them or hate them, have become integral in feeding large amounts of people. Whether in shopping centres, along wharfs, on the water's edge or in new business zones, they've attracted quality operators that are enhancing the dining landscape. With the way we work altered due to the pandemic and many people working from home, what's become of the precincts reliant on city workers? Rebecca Lyons is an award-winning restaurateur and co-owner of Banksy Vermouth Bar and Bistro at Barangaroo. Rebecca, how are you going? I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. What, what's it like down at Barangaroo at the moment? Um, thankfully, it is sunny at the moment, so um, we were very concerned about opening up in winter. Um, a lot of our area is obviously predominantly outside, so... The thought of having to open up through June, July and August was pretty daunting. Um, we, we've had this incredible kind of sunshiny and warm weather, so, uh, so we're thankful for that, for, for starters, um, but the, the landscapes are pretty bare, to be honest. <laughs> There's no one in the city, so... When you look at our um, area, those you know, there's three large towers which are uh, corporates, and they are currently thirteen percent occupied. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I guess for us personally, it is along the waterfront. Um, that strip along the waterfront of restaurants does attract some, you know, the weekend trade. Uh, and so realistically, you know, we're, we're surviving on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and the Wednesday, we've, we've just, we didn't open Monday and Tuesday. We just thought it wasn't, there just wasn't um, and probably any point. Um, and so went into it thinking, okay, well, let's try Wednesday to Sunday. The reality is, is that the Wednesday and Thursday is just like a, a ghost town around the area. So... Uh, we kind of – technically, we probably shouldn't open them. Um, but when I look at the team, we, we really need to get them back and working. So they need those five days to be able to work and make their wage. How reliant is the restaurant – you know, you're in a precinct with all these new buildings and all these office workers. How reliant are you on those workers in the precinct? Very Monday to Friday. Um, uh, you know, there's not a – you don't really have – and this is what, you know, this was the thing about when we shut also is there's not there's not a great deal of local trade. Uh, so, yes, we have Millers Point and Piermont that do tend to come across. It's, you know, Balmain, but they're not locals. Like it's not an area – I mean, I live in Surrey Hills. It's not kind of an area where you've got a densely um, – populated kind of place with, with, with residents. So we found that, you know, that the whole takeaway thing was almost impossible because our customers lived all over Sydney. 
<laughs> which we discovered when we were driving food to them. <laughs> um, so, so we're very reliant on that, on those businesses being, you know, um, being there for that Monday to Friday trade, definitely. Well, that surprises me that you were driving food to people. Can you tell us about what you did during the pandemic before opening to keep some money coming in? Yeah, I mean, we knew that the, the daily sort of takeaway wouldn't work for us um, as there wasn't sort of a local trade. And I really, I mean, I couldn't think of anything more depressing for my husband um, to be just standing in there in the kitchen waiting for, you know, five orders to come through every yeah. day. Um, so <laughs> so we did it. We did do just a, uh, a weekly delivery so of um of groceries so we had you know we had veggie boxes and we did you know the meats and those sorts of things along with some ready to heat type meals um and batched cocktails and that sort of thing um wine um and then we would so hamish would go in and prep it over a couple of days and then drive it out to everybody on a friday (laughs) so yeah so uh, Hamish was literally just by himself in there, <laughs> cooking and taking people food. What's it like uh, owning a restaurant in in a precinct like that? We've seen a lot of restaurants open and close at Barangaroo, and you guys have remained steady that whole period of time. You, you've you owned Bar H before that, which was a thriving um, small restaurant in Surrey Hills, and Barangaroo is a very different offering to that. Can you compare the two and what's it like trading in that sort of environment? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, obviously it comes with having to negotiate a lot of things. So I think um, we, you know, we're by with our own small venue. We kind of could get on and do whatever we needed to do to, you know, make changes, whereas there's often a negotiation with, uh, you know, Lend-Lease and the – the BDA, which is the Barangaroo Development Authority, to ever try and get something through to get it done, which can be frustrating, I suppose, for people um, like ourselves. Uh, but at the same time, I suppose um, there's, I guess there's a level of support as well. Um, and, you know, I think while we don't have necessarily a lot of residents and, and locals in that sense, we do have a, a very mixed um, patronage. So yes, we've got a lot of business people in the area. Uh, we also have those people, you know, we have the, the weekends are also very busy. So you've got, you know, the day trippers and the tourists and, um, and people coming in for the weekends as well. So it's quite a, a mixed, it's quite a mixed, um, crowd, I'd say, um, as opposed to something like when we had Bar H, which was which was really a, a local kind of following, um, so quite different, I think, in that sense. Um, but in- interestingly, the the weekends have been very busy since opening. So while wow. these, what, yeah, it's very odd. Uh, the, the, obviously, there's no one there on the Wednesday, Thursdays, and we kind of, you know, you're, we're losing money to open essentially. Um, but the the weekends have been have been busy. There is just people are out, and while we might be down because we can't, you know, we're not allowed to seat numbers. So, you know, technically we're, we're down. You know, food's down forty percent. But 
but interestingly, uh, the you know last I think it was last week the the beverage was only down two percent on last year. <laughs> Everyone's been yearning to get out for a drink by the sound of it. Yeah, exactly. So literally, they are drinking for you know another forty percent <laughs> of patronage. <laughs> so people are thirsty. Um, so it's a it's pretty relentless on the staff. I, you know, it's it's hard for them. They're kind of coming back, and there's not much to do on those Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursdays. But they are really having to work hard in those weekends to um, to keep up with people's thirst. <laughs> What's it like working in this period with the social distancing? Like, how how do you feel with the people in the restaurant? You can't fill it, but you know, with people's interactions and trying to turn a profit? Like, how are you feeling about the restaurant at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not, it's not, I mean, obviously it's not easy, right? And we, we have to try and it's, it's all, we're juggling things. So, you know, we don't, we kind of, you can't keep putting more staff on. You have to be very careful about wages, even though we have JobKeeper, yes. But, but, you know, bear in mind that, Hospitality is one of those industries where realistically probably only 25% of our staff were eligible for JobKeeper. Um, most kitchens are made up of sponsor staff. So, the, the, you know, to come back to open, we actually still have to support all of these people in the kitchens, et cetera, that we don't, we don't have the benefit of, of JobKeeper. So, so you still have to be very mindful of trying to ensure that our, our costs are going to, going to make sense. Um, and the social distancing thing, I mean, we obviously have a bit of room to do that, but um, from, from, it's, I find that the customers actually don't seem to care. I, I don't see much care factor from consume, like consumers, from people being out. I think they're kind of... I think their mindset is they're done with all of that, uh, and I certainly see, um, I certainly see that that perhaps there's a lot of the population who are who are definitely not adhering to <laughs> those rules. So um, I can only hope that you know New South Wales is is you know going to continue to have low numbers. I think we'd probably be seeing some more outbreaks already, given what I've seen from people being out and about and no social distance. What do you think the impact will be? We've seen this happening in Victoria and then restrictions tighten again. And what do you think the impacts will be in New South Wales if we see something similar? Yeah, uh, that's a huge concern. I think that I think people are, are hopeful now at this point that, you know, that we're, we've opened and um, we can get through it. I, I think it would be very difficult to get through a second shutdown. I don't, uh, you know, obviously the government would have to put some more things in place. I, I think they got, I mean, realistically they're going to have to anyway, this whole September thing that, that needs to be thought about um, in order to help see through industries that have, you know, that are down. The, 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 we rely on obviously tourism coming through and all those sorts of things and that's not going to be happening for well, another year at least. So um, the industries are still going to need help from from the government. Um, but I think a second shutdown would be almost impossible. And also, or just so disheartening too. I think it was bad enough, bad enough the first time. I'm not sure how many people could 
go through a second round. Can you tell us a bit about Banksy? Because it's leaning on your talents as well as Hamish's. You know, he's you know, looking into botanicals and doing all sorts of interesting things with Australian ingredients in the kitchen. And you're uh, showing the beautiful botanicals and fragrance and all sorts of things with vermouth in the front. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about the restaurant? Because it's quite unique compared to just about every restaurant in Australia. Um, Yeah, so I guess back back when I was making cocktails for Bar H, and I used to be using some really beautiful vermouth. And I always kind of wondered why we just blended them away into a cocktail um, and why we were not just consuming them as they should be consumed, which is uh, just, you know, on the rocks, which is beautiful. And, and, and essentially they're almost like a cocktail in themselves. Um, and so I'm not sure where it kind of sprung from, but I just felt like maybe it was time for them to be given the um, bit of presence that they should have, and I think that whole, you know, we've there's just the whole kind of aperitif thing has been forgotten about, I suppose, in Australian culture a little bit. Um, and I really wanted to just highlight how incredible some of these products were. Um, and so, yeah, I just I, I just found so many amazing ones that it was started to create a list, and it all kind of just unfolded from there, really. Interestingly, people would say to me after we, we opened, oh, so, so how's that vermouth thing going for you? <laughs> I, think presu- <laughs> I think presuming that. I probably asked you, know, you that as well. Yeah, I think you might have. Yeah, I think presuming that, you know, people, I don't know, wouldn't be interested. But all I've seen from the, from the get-go is, is a lot of interest and it hasn't slowed down. I mean, we're three years old in October and sometimes it still actually surprises me, but I'll just see glasses and glasses and glasses going out over the bar of different vermouth. Um, and so, so the, the interest hasn't gone or whether it's just actually a bit more mainstream now, you know, I guess three years later and perhaps people are actually just consuming this. <laughs> so I have noticed as well in that time places like Dan Murphy's who used to only stock you know, one, two vermouth have suddenly started carrying um, quite extensive ranges. So uh, I think I think there's, you know, there's been a change and a shift. So I can't, I mean, I can't even remember how many vermouth I was sold in that time, but it's something astronomical. I think it was something like 55,000 vermouth in the first year. <laughs> wow. I know. That's amazing. It is for the vermouth producers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what Hamish is doing in the kitchen because he's, you know, he sort of made a name for himself, certainly with um, Asian cooking and his influences through Billy Kwong and then Bar H and he's doing something quite different down there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a quiet guy and he never really, he just, he's not somebody who likes to kind of shout things from the treetops and let everyone know about himself. Um, but he's always used he's always used native um, ingredients right from the get-go. I mean, I, uh, right from Bar H days, he was using using native ingredients. So that's at least, you know, that's now 10 years. Um, wow. And Is this- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a decade, I think. Yeah, we did. We opened Bar H in, in 2010. So it's literally a decade, um, also in October this year. So, uh, and he's always used them. So, 
Um, he just, I, I suppose sometimes people have been kind of, you know, some, it, it's a, so it can be a little bit of, um, people like to promote themselves via things, but he's just not that way. He, he's, you know, quite quiet about what he does. So, um, but he's always used them. Uh, he naturally likes to use, um, he's, I guess coming from that background of Chinese cooking as well, it's all about a flavor. He's always got a lot of flavor to his dishes, a lot of components, and he loves um, botanicals and herbs and those sorts of things to really build flavor. Um, so it's kind of just what he's always done, to be honest. He came from um, when he went to he, he when he won his award and um, the Young Chef of the Year award a long time ago. <laughs> he went to America and. Um, and worked uh, at um, Chez Panisse. So uh, he's kind of got that, that that for him was that background in, in really beautiful produce and that sort of thing. So it's just stuck with him really. How are you feeling about the restaurant uh, and what you created down there given the pandemic? You know, you were sort of forced into closure and, and questioning, you know, what is gonna happen. Um, how are you feeling about what your offering is and moving forward? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think uh, obviously there was a lot of concern while we were all in lockdown about what would happen out the other side of it and what the what it would look like. Um, it's we were obviously all fearing a you know a recession and a fairly big recession. So I think everybody was thinking, okay, well, what do we you know what are we going to have to offer? Like, are people going to be out dining? Uh, we, on reopening with the minimum covers, we have re-looked at our menu and we've, we've reduced the size of it. You know, the big thing is, is that if we're not doing those big numbers, we have to ensure that we, we're not, you know, holding a lot of stock. The last thing we want to be doing is throwing away stock and we certainly want beautiful, fresh produce every day. So, um, so we did look at that and reduce kind of the menu in, in size um, it's probably, it's actually working quite well, I suppose. It's, uh, what we're finding is interestingly, while we can't do the numbers we were doing before, and, and I, and I've heard this across the board from all restaurateurs is that they are finding that the head spend is up, <laughs> which is really weird. Um, so people who are out are spending. And I've seen it right from the beginning the last, we've been open four weeks now and we're, especially in the older generation, we're seeing a lot of people who are a little bit older coming through with groups of friends and eating really well and, you know, buying really nice bottles of wine. And I, I th it's almost like they've gone, oh my gosh, you know, I, I need to just enjoy the rest of my life. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's like actually I've got some money. I'm I'm actually financially okay, but what I what I'm not okay with is not enjoying what I've got, you know, the rest of the my life that I've got left. So they're kind of there's this yeah really interesting thing where people are out to enjoy themselves. Um, so across the board, I think I've heard that from from every restaurant I've talked to that they are actually seeing higher spends. What has been some of the challenges for you personally during this period? You've got a young family and uh, you, you and your husband work in the restaurant. What's, what's this period of time been like for you? Um, 
uh, I think a bit of a roller coaster, I suppose, of um, emotion. I suppose you know that those first few weeks were um, well, the first week was kind of like a bit of a shell shock and uh, we didn't do too much to be honest. I think we just sat on the balcony and drank Aperol spritz. <laughs> 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 like, just kind of like, wow, what just happened? I'll, I'll just sit here and mull it over for a second while I drink this cocktail. Um, and um, obviously once that first week <clears throat> had gone, uh, it just became about negotiating how we were going to get through it. Um, and so that was, you know, we didn't really stop. We continued to work, um, through it, trying to, you know, navigate it. Uh, and then of you, and then that we, we were set to kind of in our brain that we'd be opening in September. Um, and so, and then suddenly it's like, no, no, we're opening, um, and so you suddenly launched back into, oh, hang on a minute, I, I wasn't quite emotionally ready for that, um, and trying to, you know, navigate this new world that we have to live in. Uh, and, um, yeah, and emotionally we were kind of like, okay, we'll get through winter and, and you know, sit around in the house watching movies until September. <laughs> um, and then suddenly it's like, no, no, you have to open your restaurant in, in winter, which is just the worst time we could be opening down in um, Barangaroo. Um, so, and the big thing I suppose has been uh, staff, you know, um, being looking after the staff and trying to, like they, they also have, so much emotion attached to all of this and that's quite difficult I suppose is is yeah dealing with dealing with that I mean I think you can deal with your own family and my kids they don't even know what's going on they're fine um but dealing with staff's quite difficult I think it's been quite hard on 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 teams coming back and I'm really I'm quite concerned for the industry uh we sort of didn't have enough staff before but you know a lot of these people would have had to go home sponsor staff um a lot of the staff that we hired that were 20 hour students have had to go home so we're going to be low on staff anyway when all these restaurants open back up uh but but besides that the really quality great staff who are professionals in this industry um i've heard a lot of i'm not sure i can go back to it I'm not sure I can go back to doing what I was doing before um which is which is a real concern for the industry obviously I think people I think they're tired I think I think the industry's tired uh so and they're kind of like maybe I don't have to work nights and weekends and actually it's quite nice being able to cook for my partner and um, so it'll be, I think it's going to be an interesting, um, you know, year ahead of us as people kind of re kind of go back and go, hang on, is this, is this what I want for my life? Which, you know, obviously for all people during this period has been a little bit of awakening, like, you know, hang on, am I doing the right thing with my life? Um, and certainly it's, I've heard it from many professionals, professional hospitality workers. So, which is concerning. A little earlier, you were talking about how quiet it is weekdays and how reliant you are on the CBD workers. 
Do you have any um, knowledge of sort of when those buildings around you will be filled and what the time frame with that is and when we're going to start seeing workers back in the city? Uh, from all accounts, I have heard that most of those businesses have have said that that people can work till, at, at home from you know till the end of the year. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they're in any hurry to bring people back into the offices. I think that there's logistic issues around just probably you know there was all the lift situation, so they couldn't get them up in lifts so they you know you could I mean it took you know an hour to get into work and then an hour to get up the lift to you know level 14 (laughs) (laughs) and and then once you're up there you could only have so many people anyway and uh and an hour back down on the lift and then an hour back to you know your house so they're not in any hurry I think at this point they're like they've pretty much from from the businesses we've heard from have said look you know to we are looking at the end of the year as as a possible time. Some have said September, um, but predominantly I've heard the end of the year. A lot of people have gone back in a shared capacity. So they'll go in two days a week and then work from home the rest of the time and somebody else will then go in two days a week because they can only have so many. There was all that hot desking stuff. So they can't have that anymore. They can't have people go and use the sort of, you know, the same desks and that sort of thing. So they sort of have logistic issues in bringing everybody back anyway. What sort of impact does that kind of have on Banksy's viability moving forward? Well, I mean, it'll have an impact on, on any of those businesses down there. The, you know, I know that, sure, you know, we're down, you know, a percentage, but I really feel for some of them who are in – we're on that waterfront where we do have that weekend trade, but there's some of those cafes in the back there that literally are reliant Monday to Friday and and they are down 90% still. So, and if people are not going back until the end of the year, that, that would suggest they'll be down 90% until the end of the year. So... Um, very reliant and you know we're very reliant on having very big Christmases and summers because with an area like ours it is an you know outdoor style place so winters are obviously much quieter for us so we really rely on having great trade through um, November December and then you know tourists come through in January and that sort of thing we, we rely on those big summers and we were we we're obviously coming off the back of bushfires and we had an outdoor restaurant so you know there were days where we would have 45 people cancel in one lunch sitting um, due to those bushfires so we're we're coming off the back of that as well as there was no tourists in January because of the bushfires and now we're heading into another summer where it's possible we're not going to have those same Christmas parties and there's not going to be that tourism. Um, so, you know, the year ahead looks like it could be a very difficult one to navigate, yeah. Well, just on tourists as well and that reliance on them with, with no international tourists in the foreseeable future, does that change the menu design, what you're doing, just catering for locals during that summer period? I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I think we'll we'll continue to sort of look at it as we uh, as things open up. I mean, 
as sort of the next steps happen and we, we open up further, we'll just continue to see what works and, and, and keep monitoring it. We At the moment, we're happy with the menu the way it is and we kind of leave it like that for for the time being until we kind of start to see um, the, I guess, the relaxing of the laws around the, the social distancing uh, situation uh, and keep monitoring that. But in terms of... You know, I think we had our worst January ever this year due to no tourists. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with, uh, I guess, people staying in Australia and travelling within Australia possibly rather than heading off somewhere. Um, and, you know, yeah, we just have to, we're going to have to navigate it as it comes and, and you know, and hope that <laughs> our landlords, Lindley's, um, look after us. <laughs> Well, a little earlier, you also mentioned that JobKeeper, you know, will need to go far beyond September for the viability of just about every restaurant. What what, what needs to happen from a government perspective right now that would help? I think one of the big things is is that uh, hospitality is pretty transient anyway, and so what we're finding, you know, we we obviously we only had out of I mean we used to have forty five staff members, and when when a all you know finally stopped we were left with I think 15 um, 11 of which were uh, job keeper eligible so out of 45 staff we had 11 who were job keeper eligible um, which included us so nine um, and you know some of those people were already kind of on their way out so we actually aren't going to be left with anybody on job keeper um, and it really, I guess, I know that all of that came through in a bit of a, a rush, but it, if it was really to do two things, one was to help, you know, obviously um, keep people, you know, give give employees some, um, you know, funds, but also to help that business to continue, really it probably needed to be aligned with the business, not the person. So what happens is as soon as, you know, my my restaurant manager pretty much left and got a job right on us reopening. So all I did was kind of carry him through that period and then now I have to re-employ a restaurant manager but I but I do not have any JobKeeper allocated to it. So, you know, it kind of needs to be like if there was a role there before, then that money should be allocated to that role. That's a really good thought and I guess it's a perspective that um – hasn't hasn't been tabled properly um, moving forward. Um, what are some of the positives to come out of this situation for you and for the sector, do you think? Oh, uh, <laughs> I want to say there are positives. I think, uh, I think there's a sense of community within the restaurant world and I think think um you know a lot of people kind of were talking about this is you know we're going to see a shift in the in the restaurant world and everyone's you know it's going to be a different place when we come out of it and all that stuff I actually haven't seen that I think it's a little bit of it's the same it's a bit you know everyone's out for themselves a little um and uh, and realistically we do need the the we need a better voice for the restaurant uh, the restaurant world. I think we kind of don't quite fit in the restaurant catering um, uh, banner. I don't think they, I think it's a bit too broad and I think we need probably a stronger united voice for restaurants. Um, 
uh, which would be great. So if anyone wants to stick their hand up for that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so we need a stronger voice. We need a more united voice. Then there, do need, there needs to be changes. I, I've, you know, I, I've just the consumer, I think, still doesn't see value in what we do, and I think that that's been lacking for some time. I think there used to be, you know, I think what I feel like once upon a time there was a mutual respect between the consumer and the and and the restaurant. So what was joyful was when somebody came into your restaurant, you actually kind of really knew that there was a level of respect for you. Um, and it was really such a beautiful thing to be able to serve somebody and really have, you know, make them really happy. Um, and I think we're so spoilt for choice and that we are a little bit spoiled, you know, and I just have seen a drop in respect for for us, and I think that that is becoming quite disheartening for for that the restaurant world and the people who who you know that really why we do this is because we love to see people happy. Um, it's not because we like mixing a drink or you know it's it's it is actually at the end of the day it is a human aspect is that we we the, the joy of serving someone. Um, and I just, you know, what would be beautiful is if we could get to a point where, where that respect, I think, comes back and where we can, we can, you know, truly actually put the, the true costs of that value um, and the consumer accept it. What are some examples of the drop in respect that you're talking about? I think, I think everybody's become an expert. So, you know, there's a, there's a, I think it's that thing of, I think somehow we've forgotten to just go and enjoy where we are. Um, everybody's kind of a home cook or a, you know, a little bit of an expert in that field. And so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, oh, that's not quite good enough or, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, we're actually, I think the whole thing is getting back to just being, you know, it's a joyful thing to be out with your friends and those sorts of things. And it is actually some of what we've seen is, you know, those those groups of people coming back really, you know, really happy to be out and in the restaurant and be with their friends and drinking beautiful wine and enjoying the food and that sort of thing. And I think that's what we that's what we want back is that joy to, to be somewhere and be out and be with your friends and be looked after. Um, so I think it's I think it's just that I think it's just become so, you know, we're so quick to to you know the keyboard warriors get on there and leave their reviews and you know let you know all of that stuff and it's like we've just forgotten to just enjoy ourselves. <laughs> Has this experience of the pandemic changed you? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's changed me. I think. If anything, I'm re I'm really aware that I have to, for me personally, for me to be joyful in my life, I have to make sure that what I whatever I do moving forward, I'm continuing to be creative. So, I think that's probably the biggest part of of what I've kind of come out of it is actually my, what what brings me joy is is creating. Um, so whatever I'm kind of, you know, wherever we're moving next or however we're doing it, for me personally, I, I have to ensure that that's, there's a creative process to that. So, um, which was really, I don't know why, but it was definitely solidified in that, in those moments of kind of being home and, and reflecting. 
Well, Rebecca, it's always good to catch up and it's been a while, but um, it has. It has. And hopefully next time it's over a vermouth. That'd be um, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show today and please keep in touch and hopefully those workers are back in the city pretty soon and um, you full every day. Yes, every day with people enjoying themselves. <laughs> but um, keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>